worked really, really hard, and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. There go. Yes, there sir. Trust. Big, big, big trust. Big, big trust. Big trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me. We are back on the Jumbo Set Podcast. It is Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. My name is Jake Luke. We are brought to you on the Exit 52 Podcast Network by Jimmy's Famous Seafood, as always. Wanted to open it up with a shout out to them because we got a little event going on with them uh, tonight as you're listening to this at Jimmy's 7 o'clock p.m. featuring Justin Matabike, a little Q&A, autograph session, all that good stuff hosted by our very own Barstool Banks, I think there may be still time to get tickets, so uh, go to their website under the events tab if you'd like to. Uh, I'm sure we'll shout that out more, but just wanted to open the show with it. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined, as always, by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. How are we doing, sir? Doing quite well. You mentioned that. Come out and hang out later today, I guess, if you're listening to this. And it's playoff week. It is time to get fired up, time to kick out of the post-New Year, post Martin Luther King Day post Christmas deserves to have a day named after him. Deserves to have a day named after him. Thank you, Tony. Deserves it, and we deserve to see a big time performance out of this Baltimore Ravens team, the Houston Texans, coming to town four fifteen Saturday, the opening game of Wild, or excuse me, of the divisional round. Which to uh, Ian Herit, Heritits, Heritz, whatever his name is, former PFF guy, to his credit, we go Super Wild Card Weekend divisional round championship sunday super bowl sunday so divisional round needs a, a sprucing let's go with a semi-final let's go with some sort of alliteration divisional round does not kick the juices but i'm fired up for this game regardless and man feels like the snow's coming down the holidays are coming down i don't know i'm in the city i don't feel the juice yet i personally feel it but i'm not seeing it elsewhere so uh sick it, ticket prices plummeting I'm not trying to put a damper on on this. I want this to be a fun, positive week and experience. But man, oh man, does it feel like a little bit of the flatlined uh, kind of experience so far. I don't see a ton of juice so far. So let's let's kick that up a gear. I don't know, man. Football's almost over in terms of even if the Ravens win or lose, have a beer. Go out another night. Restaurants have crazy good deals. Chop it up with your buddies. Go to the casino. Do something. Wake up. Wake the fuck up. It is the Ravens' third playoff game in the last decade that they have hosted at this stadium. So if you're in the area, be about it. If you're not, get active. Mix it up. Go talk some shit. I don't know. Toss it up, man. When else? When else are you supposed to? We don't get these things very often, and I think that's a sentiment from the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, too. Lamar Jackson hasn't played in a playoff game since the Bills? Yeah, 2020. 2021, I guess that was, January of 2021. So he is talking about not taking this opportunity for granted, and I would love for this fan base to do the same. Do the same. Yeah, I think uh, you know I'm right on the same page with you there. We were both kind of pumping the ticket thing on Twitter today. Prices are you know relatively down there for a playoff game, and I think that's ultimately a good thing because I think it gets the opportunity for the non-whining cheese crowd to, uh, to tap in. Uh, and like I said on Twitter, like we get two of these tops, maybe only one. So let's go ahead and just let's fire our gun here. Let's smoke them if we got them. We certainly got them. It's time to smoke them. Uh, get yourself in that house and uh, have some fun if you have the opportunity. If not, for whatever reason, totally get it. But it's going to be a fun time, I think. I'm very excited. I got my tickets all locked up. I know you're going to be in the house. 
Uh, you know, maybe we'll try to meet up or something. Perfect. Perfect that it fell on a Saturday at 4.30. I was talking uh, to Brian about this on the recap the other night, uh, last week. I just want to get this one out of the way, no matter what happens. Like, I, I didn't want all this anticipation and all this buildup and all this grab-ass to, to be taking place. I just want to treat this thing business-like as possible. I want to have fun with it. I want them to have fun with it, too, on the field. But at the same time, Saturday, full day Sunday of recovery, it just feels, this feels like the perfect spot for me. It does as a fan and as a team, as the team that hosts the divisional round, if you can, or excuse me, has the one seed, if you can take care of business, you're the one waiting. You're the one that is standing there, badass-like, waiting for your opponent to show themselves from that Chiefs-Bills matchup, which should be a heart stopper as well. So I like that aspect of it. I like that they can just hop into it. They're not going to be waiting around. There's not going to be other games going on. And the Ravens did have a stadium practice this past Saturday. Roquan Smith saying that the security guard told him, like, you can calm down a little. It's not a real game. And that's what they need. That's what the Ravens need. An awesome article from Ryan Mink just popping out on BaltimoreRavens.com talking about how people feel that Lamar Jackson is a lot different this year. And it's hard not to recognize that. And I don't know. Some of the things that came out through the grapevine over the years, him maybe not being the first guy in, last guy out, all those quarterback things, not that you always have to to succeed. Steve McNair used to sleep during practice, apparently, and had quite a successful career, had an MVP himself, co-MVP with Peyton Manning. What was that, 04? 03. But, 03, yeah, you're right. Uh, so kicked it into gear, and my favorite part of that, I posted on Twitter, was that T. Martin said that Lamar Jackson likes having an advanced scouting report of the next opponent put into his locker for when he gets finished with the game. So in this hypothetical, that would be, you know, Bills and Chiefs advanced scouting reports waiting for him if the Ravens were to beat the Texans here. So I love that locked in this. It does feel different. It feels like he fully committed and the team fully committed to him after these last weird couple years. So let's celebrate the Ravens being the one seed, celebrate hosting the divisional round for the third time in franchise history, if I'm not mistaken, and go push and fight and make a party out of this thing. If you want this to be a Super Bowl run, you got to make it a party. It is not wine and cheese time. It is time to celebrate a team that has had an awesome season and is looking primed with a couple of other teams that are imperfect, including the Texans and the Bills and the Chiefs, to go be able to slice through. And man, oh man, what a, a wild card weekend we had. But this Ravens team has everything before them, you know, dealing with a couple bumps and bruises lightly, but had time to lick their wounds and if not now, when? That's what I've been saying, man. If not now, when? If not this Saturday at 4.15, when? When are you going to go to the game? And I have a good dear friend, shout out Josh Lanham, who huge Orioles fan. And uh, he used to actually work for the Orioles organization. And he was able to get us a connection, get us really good face value tickets for the ALDS. And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to go to the ALCS. Well, guess fucking what? There wasn't one in Baltimore. So get to the damn stadium. The tickets are $150 push out the wine and cheese crowd, stand up, yell, CJ Stroud, I'll say it, I'm going to talk some shit. He's an indoor show pony. Mm. Played two games outdoors in December in the last two years, actually in his entire career, pardon me, dating through OSU. That was a loss to Michigan at home, and that was a drumming 30-6 to in MetLife on the 10th of December this year to the New York Jets. So it's cold. It should be loud. It should be a party. That's what it used to be like. That's what it should be. If you're a younger fan, younger listener, 
It used to be a party, man, and it should be again. It should be a big old party in Baltimore when they host a playoff game. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's our time to uh, to be the uh, the flag bearers of the fan base a little bit. You know, we're starting to get up into that age. Uh, I think, uh, you know, our parents' generation kind of aging out of it a little bit. I saw that point made on Twitter. It makes a lot of sense. And you're right. I think it's time to uh, time to enjoy the spoils of what uh, what they've reaped here, wrought over the course of the regular season. This is what it's all about. This is what you go for. I know it's nerve-wracking. Uh, I've been having trouble getting sleep. I think it might have something to do with this. It's absurd as a 28-year-old man to have sports affect my mental health that way, but I think it is, and I'm sure it is for you too a little bit. Um, in fact, I know it is. I think you were talking about that in the group chat a little bit today. Um, but yeah, it, it, this is 100% what it's all about. And uh, just go uh, go out there and leave it out on the field as a fan. You know, you, you can't control the aspects of the game really at all, but get in there, get loud, try to uh, try to force some uh, false starts, whatever it might be, and do what you can. As for the players themselves, you mentioned the change in Lamar Jackson. I thought his media availability today was very interesting. Uh, and it, it's in keeping with what we've talked about him pretty much all season, where he does seem changed. He does seem mature. He seems like he not only has a renewed sense of purpose, this feels like the most sense of purpose I've ever really seen him have. It felt like in 2019, you know, obviously he was a leader on that team, but he kind of felt like he was just along for the magic carpet ride a little bit in some ways. He's laughing and doing the dancing. He was, he was super young. He wasn't looked to to be a leader necessarily besides from his play. Yeah, right. And, you know, he's got, we're laughing about his Harry Potter costume and all that stuff, which was great at the time. I, you know, I really enjoyed it and it endeared him to all of us uh, in many ways, but uh, he does seem a little different now. And this is uh, one of many things that he had to say today. Your four previous playoff games, the offense didn't score more than 20 points. How much more confidence? has the ability to put up the points you need to win in the playoffs. I'm very confident. Very, very confident. Extremely confident. <laughs> yeah, so sorry for the audio cutting there on the uh, question. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but... It yeah. only missed like one exact second. Yeah, exactly. You know, these premiere, these Adobe apps, you only pay a million freaking dollars for them a month for them to do that to you. But uh, you get the main point, the gist of it. Very confident, extremely confident, and he almost has this little devilish grin about him. Like, he knows something that we don't know, and I'm not really sure what it is. You know that you mentioned that uh, Todd Monken has a bag that he wants to go into. I just feel like Lamar Jackson, like, never seen him that confident before, like, but it, it doesn't seem misplaced. It doesn't seem arrogant. He There's just, no bulletin board with takeaways from it either. Yeah, he just seems really settled within himself. And then he also kind of joked about, I didn't pull this one, but he joked about CJ Stroud's performance. And he was like, I know he played better than I did in my playoff debut. So, you know, definitely showing a little bit of respect, a little reach across the aisle there. But uh, I really enjoyed him today. That's that's a little, it was a little bit of old head status on that comment about CJ Stroud and Jest. And Lamar is a veteran now. He's on his second contract. That makes you a veteran in my eyes. And has been there, has done that. But that question spurs that still burning chip and you mentioned 2019 and, and how it was a little different but the chip on the shoulder then was just can you be an nfl quarterback can you look the part at all can you be a top 15 guy and that powered him through reached the pinnacle one of the greatest regular seasons of all time and then to have that shell shock then to go climb that same mountain a year later against the titans in their house and handle them and then to go have another clunker and they haven't scored more than 20 points in a playoff game in this era and that's why the ravens go and get a roquan smith that's why the ravens continue to build around lamar jackson ask him what he needs that's why they go get todd munkin and this has been a smooth transition from era to era of kind of that rookie contract to post paying a quarterback and 
Cam Newton, I talked about it last week, but Cam Newton just is like obsessed with how locked in Lamar is. He's made multiple comments now across like multiple episodes of his show, whatever it's called. And you can just tell that comment. That's the definition. I think locked in has become like maybe the new let's go or the new like, I don't know, hype or bet or cap. Locked it's the new it's the, the new big trust, really, because like big trust was unique to the Ravens at the time. And, you know, it's been I don't think, but I don't think it's unique to the Ravens. I think that's just across the social media sphere locked in. I think that's maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm just seeing it with the Ravens, but I have seen it specifically like pretty much exclusively with them. I'm like, man, is this like are they just going to slap this on the T-shirt? I know it was actually on the division uh, champion T-shirt there, too. It's a lock. Right. So locked in how that that quote from him, that five seconds vary. Yes. A lot, whatever he said, Very locked in. It, it is just pure, I don't care. Yeah, the answer is yes. Yes, we're going to go. Yes, we're ready to go. There's no ho-humming about it. There's no Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, a rose a rose might wilt, but the thorns will always pierce. Our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but that we are powerful beyond measure. There's no Dak Prescott saying, yeah, I'm not wearing the divisional champ hat because – our goals are bigger than that. One of the great own like, one of the yes. great own goals of all time too. When he's like, "If Mike McCarthy's job is on the line, then my job should be on the line too." The quote tweets on that one were uh, were quite something. They were, and we'll get to all that. We'll we'll recap the the wild card and our thoughts and stuff in a little bit. But there's just no, and that was kind of my. What did I say earlier this season? There's no thing. The Ravens don't have a thing. Like, what is the thing? Ronnie from Dundalk with Stavi there. Like, there's no thing. But the thing is just the dumb jockness. I think it's fully the dumb jockness and it's like Lamar is now the you know senior that came up and was all state as a freshman and it's time he knows he knows you don't get a lot of opportunities for these and they're just dumb jock locked in man they don't care an article comes out also from Baltimore Banner talking about Scott Elliott who replaced Steve Saunders and what that's been like and why they think that's why they've been able to bully teams late in the season because of their revamped strength and conditioning program and Genevieve and Clowney has articles coming out about, you know, this is what he's wanted and all the things that he's gone through in his personal life. And I don't know, the closer you get to it, it's not like this team was some sort of dynasty by any means, but I think they're very aware of their own mortality beyond reprieve where Lamar thought in 2019, you know, that shell shocks you, but the immediate sentiment is, oh, oh, well, you know, we'll be back. We'll this will be the expectation every year. And you see what Mahomes did, and we'll just repeat that. We've just got, you know, the other Mahomes. And last year, you end up, and I think that th these are the funny things in these playoff narratives about the Ravens over time. But last year, the Ravens punched the Bengals in the mouth, which I, I do want to touch on a little later, too. But, you know, Huntley's starting a game. You missed the playoffs the year before that. You don't win your division the year after the Titans loss. You do have to go on the road, you do go up and play in. 40 mile an hour wins in Buffalo and he throws a pick six. So I, I think that was good. All of those things I think were good. The John, in the John Harbaugh way, good. You made all of those errors. Lamar Jackson has a lot of scar tissue from the Titans game, from the bills game and from whatever's happened the last two years with his contract and all of those sorts of things, Greg Rome and this and all the weird dark cloud controversies. So I think they're aware of their immortality. They have, again, I'll point to Roquan Smith as a guy that has been around, has played in the playoffs a little bit, and there's no one more locked in than him. That's I think I, they paid him to be locked in.
Yeah, you actually, it's funny you mentioned that. We've got a little uh, little sound from Uncle Roe at the podium today, too. Happened in the regular season, happened in the regular season. We passed that. We're on to the postseason, and uh, we don't need any extra confidence uh, at all. We know who exactly who we are. We're a bunch of dogs at the end of the day and a nice aware of standing and guys that, you know, uh, do anything for each other uh, and try to, you know, knock off anybody that's trying to stop that uh, coming in between us in a sense. So we don't need confidence by any means. We know exactly who we are. So we just got to come out and show that to the world who will be watching and versus a really good team in uh, Houston. He's exceptionally rare because he has all the confidence and all the trappings and all the badassery of a guy like Ray Lewis. We were talking about this on Bobby and Sarah's stream the other night. You know, he, he has the, kind of that old school mentality, but he also is kind of new school in that it, it's kind of like, it's not really, it's not arrogance. It's not like kind of toxic. There's, yeah. no, there's no showmanship to it. Yeah, right. And he's always, but he's always got this kind of light, loose smile on his face. And he's got an easy way about him, that kind of easy, you know, Georgia, you know, kind of just Georgia on my mind type of mentality. Um, underneath it all, he is like, he's active on social media and like he posts his quotes on there and he posts his like his fits and all that stuff. So he's got like, he's got the kind of old school mentality, but he's also like embraced like some of the other stuff that the modern players do, but none of it seems to like pull him too far in any one direction. Yeah. None none of it is an act. None of it is force. Right. And like nothing is pulled too far in one direction or the other. He's just kind of that even keel, even tempo guy. He just seems like he lives in the moment more than any player that I think I've maybe ever seen. Because like we talked about the Ray Lewis comparisons, like Ray Lewis could have been on Pluto. Some of the times I was listening to him talk. I, I, I didn't know like where the guy summoned his energy from. And it was obviously a great boon to him, but like I couldn't begin to understand what's going through Ray Lewis's mind half the time. An angel like, and a demon would be speaking through him at times. Yeah, right. And with Roquan, it just he just seems like a regular guy that I could get a beer with. But like when it's time to go, like he's fucking ready to go and he can summon it. He's just so, so unique in that way. And like he's the for all the Bears fans that and I've seen a little bit of on social media that are like, oh, man, like overrated, like TJ Edwards or whoever it is. He's got better, better stats and all that stuff. I'm like, you can, you know. You take your stats and you can take the contract stuff, whatever, and like run with it and be happy. But like the stuff, the energy that this guy has brought to the locker room, we've gone over it ad nauseum. But right now, that has me feeling more comfortable about this game than I have for maybe any Ravens playoff game ever. And that's saying a lot. Another thing that I think is swept under the radar is that Roquan Smith started playing with a shoulder brace about two and a half months ago and definitely had some sort of probably structural damage. At some point, that's the life of a linebacker that plays a 1,000 snaps. Him and Patrick Queen both have been on the injury report quietly. Patrick Queen had a little hurt slash injury in the Week 17 game against the Dolphins, plays in that Week 18, 18 game against the Steelers. Both of them not on the injury report. To go off the injury report, we see Mark Andrews, limited, back in action. Devin Duvernay, full participant. Expect him to be elevated for special teams primarily. Zay Flowers limited, returns to practice. Malik Harrison limited. Marlon Humphrey has not practiced as of Tuesday. Adafe Owe limited. Deshaun Phillips and Tylen Wallace missing time there. But uh, if there was anybody that needed a break, it was probably those two middle linebackers who don't come off the football field and play 10,000 miles an hour and run and hit and run and hit and run and hit and chase and chase and hit. So those guys getting time to lick their wounds, come back, go to that stadium practice probably after a couple of days off, reset mentally, and fire back in, tune back in is a huge blessing. And defensively, and really, I think it's Lamar Jackson and then those two guys, you know, Kyle Hamilton, you can throw in there too, but those are the engines of this team 
it's Lamar Jackson and what he's able to do mentally and ta- in terms of talent and in general on that side of the football. And then those two dictate the way you're going to play if you're their opponent. Yeah, and that's interesting because I think uh, our guy Voss, you know, he he was kind of pretty outspoken. I think he's been vindicated in some of some of his critiques against the front office, and I think they've rightly pivoted in his direction in some ways. But one thing that I I think might not have been the case is that, you know, it, it was just like all oh, these middle linebackers, you can find them anywhere. It's an inefficiency; you just don't worry about it. Josh Bynes, whatever, that'll get it done. L.J. Ford, things of that nature. They are totally built up the spine with Roquan, with Queen coming on in the way that he has. With Hamilton, with the additional range of Williams on the back end, with the playmaking instincts of Geno Stone, you know, they've got an alpha dog in Marlin at corner, but he he certainly hasn't played up to his abilities uh, all the way this year, I don't think. They really are built up the middle in the way that they haven't been probably since they've been to the playoffs with Lamar. Certainly not 2019. I think that 2020 team left some, uh, left some oomph to be desired there a little bit. And then I think it, it's funny because you mentioned the fact that they really smacked the Bengals in the jaw uh all you know pretty much all last year when they played them um and i think a lot of it has to do with the way that they built their team i think that's what kept them competitive against the Bengals' offense that was humming against a lot of other squads in 2022 and now you know that the offense is healthy and they added some pieces which they were right to do at wide receiver that was one area that they uh needed to get better at and they certainly did and they adjusted their offensive philosophy which was another thing that needed to happen now the complete picture has come together and like I said, it's just got me feeling as confident as I have. They are just so, so complete. And I think a lot of that does have to do with them building it up the spine. And a lot of people, smart people are saying that they were kind of ahead of the curve at that. And you look at the 49ers who were also on a break this weekend, they're built up there with Warner and everything else they've got going on. So maybe we could be seeing the uh, league shifting back towards that a little bit. And maybe they were at the forefront of it. Yeah, and that's I tweeted kind of late last night. I was getting into the Texans offense a little bit. I went back and watched that week one matchup and some of those things, and, and I'll get into that. But the teams that are remaining in the playoffs, you have Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw in the middle there. They made a, The 49ers made a commitment to those linebackers. Their safeties, Hafunga, has been a star for them. Uh, Javon Hargrave and Eric Armstead up the gut for them too. The Packers, Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker, paid a lot of money, drafted really high. Anzalone, Jack Campbell. Rodriguez doesn't fall into that, but you know they like him. Uh, Derek Barnes, the other linebacker there, I like a lot. Has had some crazy bad PFF grades. I, I like that player, though. I had a weird play against Dak a couple weeks ago on that one. But Bills, I mean, Matt Milano is obviously hurt, but then you look at Poyer and Hyde and Ed Oliver. So that, that's that same spine they've made a serious commitment to financially and in terms of draft picks. You know, that's what they have spent on defensively, primarily. And the Chiefs, Nick Bolton, second round, Willie Gay, second round, Chris Jones, massive contract. They've done a lot of shuffling at safety, spent a lot of picks there, spent a lot of money there over time. So that's what's winning right now. And then you look at the Texans, and they haven't done that. They go get Jalen Petrie, who was a hashtag my guy for me, coming out of Baylor. I, I love that dude. Uh, they have Blake Cashman, who has played really well. The Cashman. The Cashman. It's got to be boys with the settle man as well. Yep. Then we've got Christian Harris, who's a third-round pick, someone else I really liked a lot. And then they've got Malik Collins and Sheldon Rankins in there. Sheldon Rankins missing practice today, but uh, they've gotten some juice out of that spine, but have not spent capital. They've not spent up the spine yet, which is interesting. You know, D'Amico Ryan's coming in. I'm sure they'll make some decisions there and look to fortify that spine, which D'Amico Ryan's comes from San Francisco. And guess what? D'Amico Ryan's was a middle line. I was going to say, who, who better to, uh, to embrace that philosophy? 
played alongside Brian Cushing, your favorite psycho's favorite psycho. So uh, a fun Texans team that was back in the day, man. Yeah, I'd, I'd get more Starbucks, but it's for chicks, so I can't. Or he says something like that on Hard Knocks. Cushing, oh just God. an absolute, absolute just loon. That is my number one favorite Roid Monkey that has ever existed, Brian Cushing. He's oh, yeah. a, his workouts, tape, videos he used to post back in the day were so goaded. So goaded. Go check out Brian Brian Cushing and J.J. Watt's workouts. J.J. doesn't do it for me, as you expect, but Brian Cushing is just a lunatic in the weight room. I used to love it. Yeah, but him and JJ both had great just pictures of their noses just bleeding because the helmet would come down. I think JJ's is maybe the more popular one, but go go look up Brian Cushing bleeding from the nose. That's that's an all. Brian Cushing is like a slow key blood freak. Like he loved to bleed on the field. He would do anything to bleed on the field. He loved blood. He's like a fucking human shark. God, that guy. But yeah, I mean USC you, you in the mid aughts. That, that had to be something. Oh yeah, uh, from Don Bosco, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, up there in New Jersey, a couple friends went there, hmm. but. Texans team, you know, get, squeezes a lot out. We'll get into all that stuff. But then again, you know, I, I also want to mention, hey, guess who else? I just honestly even realized as I read that out and I felt stupid not saying Kyle Hamilton's not on the injury report either, who has had that knee issue a couple weeks. Had an interesting video come out today. I think he was in the background of it. Some people brought this up that he was kind of gimping along. I think you know, so they posted a video of Lamar and people were like, oh, I see Kyle in the background there. But like he's, he's probably not going to be fully back from these tweaks he suffered like all the way. Like we've made the point that guys are pretty much everyone's banged up at this point. I don't know. I'd like to. Was he was he running in the video or is he no? Walking? He was walking. It was just kind of a ginger walk. It was fine. I was like, yeah, you know, you're you're gonna have that. Like, I still limp a little bit from like my ACL surgery a decade ago. So. It's it's the classic athlete. All athletes walk like that. If you've ever played basketball in your life, you're you're supposed to walk like that in your slides with your sweatpants and your backpack. You're on. saying he like he talks like a pimp. His gun heavy. That's why he walks with a limp. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, but. I don't know, man. Fired up for this matchup. I'll, I'll dive deeper into it. But at this point, it's just a rookie quarterback. You know, what are the headlines? A rookie quarterback coming off of a great win with a rookie head coach who doesn't have a lot around them. I mean, I think Slowick is so good. So, so, so good at keeping it clean. Everything in their offense is deliberate and clean. They're If you want to watch hashtag spacing, they're the spacing offense. They have it completely spread if there's guys in traffic next to each other they don't stay there they get out of each other's way and they use each other as picks and break in opposite directions so uh they are punching above their weight class so much cj stroud might have i mean this might be the best the best rookie quarterback campaign ever one of them dan well not dan marino but um you know of our lifetime arguably the top rookie season so far and then goes and thumps the browns at home in front of It was just, I know people have talked about it, but I don't think it is talked about enough of the fact that that was who traded Deshaun Watson and who traded for him and the quarterback that was taken for him and the quarterback that wasn't available and has played 11 games. Joe Flacco has more career touchdowns as a Cleveland Brown passing the ball than Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and then we saw what happened uh, Monday night as you're listening to this with uh, a certain quarterback for Tampa Bay who's, you know, he's looking pretty good right now. I'll just say that. He certainly is, and and I want to get into those, but just as I was kind of watching, I haven't watched that Browns game tape yet. I watched the Colts tape for the Texans in Week 18, and I watched the Ravens tape again from Week 1 just of their offense. The things that stood out to me is that Slowick loves to run tight alignments. They stay in tight and under center and throw the ball from under center, a ton of play action from under center. It's like 
where they're going to throw the football when they're tight is where there's space. They do not start where the space is and try and throw it there. It is the opposite. They leave it unoccupied and make defenders have to run to it and react to it. Uh, they honestly, I thought they had a lot more misdirection remembering than they do. They boot a little bit. They run like a baby amount of counter, but a lot of what they do is just trying to run the ball inside, um, establish that, keep that, and stay in like neutral or positive game script game scripts. Devin Singletary's had some bursts for them. He's been okay. And the thing that really popped me, even in that Ravens game, is that Stroud. They like to a lot of times, whether whatever it is, if it's a twins formation, if it's a two by three, whatever, two by two, whatever it might be with you know tight end inside, they like to have a quick concept on one side and a more, you know, five step longer developing concept on the other side. And Stroud can just ping pong his progression. He can go, oh, the quick one's not there. There's the backside throw accurate. So his ability to go through his progression and throw over the middle of the field, uh, to me, that's what means you're a good NFL quarterback or not. Can you read and then hit a second and third progression over the middle of the field is the difference from college football to the NFL. And Stroud has done that so well. He really reminds me of Dak Prescott a lot, uh, just so much generally. And the thing that has been different about him so far, and when Dak is at his best, he's just cool. He's just chilling. It's, you know, he, he loves basketball. I know CJ Stroud loves to play basketball, use himself as a point guard. And it's just like, has a very basketball mindset. You know, if, if he makes a mistake, if he lets up a three in his face or something, or, you know, makes a bad decision, he's just, it's like he's back on the, you know, you get the ball 15 seconds later, you're back and have to go make another play. So does a great job staying super, super neutral. Uh, and it's not in some like manufactured way like Hertz is either. He just is chill, is calm. He'll take his sacks. One thing that stood out to me numbers-wise is that he does have the same turnover-worthy play rate as a passer as Josh Allen, who threw 17 interceptions, and CJ Stroud threw five. They played less games, Stroud had less dropbacks, but negative – I wrote down negative regression, possibly you. Uh, they love to do spot concepts with two vertical routes from bunches, and I'll, I'll, we're going to dive into some tape on – Thursday for the preview, like we did for that 49ers game, fired up for that one. But another thing that stood out is that they they love to run these kind of spot concepts. And it feels like whenever it's second and medium plus or third and medium plus, they just always have a receiver come out of either a stack or a bunch and just sit right at the sticks. Like they just throw timing right at the sticks over and over and over. They spray right at the sticks. So that stood out to me. Uh, but he, he was great at this last week, made some good plays when he was pressured. The Browns blew up a ton of coverages. But just like, you know, we've talked about Trevor Lawrence, we've talked about uh, Tua, when he gets pressured, he doesn't do well. He had two touchdowns this entire regular season when he was pressured. And that Jets game I mentioned, which I'm going to go back and watch and see exactly what they did. But when he was pressured, it was 48% of dropbacks, and he just didn't do a thing. I think he was 9 of 19 for like 80 yards and just – he, had th he also had three turnover-worthy throws, and none of them were picked. So, again, what do we say about Brock Purdy, who he also reminds me of, is if he gives you a chance, you cannot drop the ball. If there is a ball on the ground, you have to be the one to come up with it. You can't not take the turnovers from him. So those are just a couple things that stood out. Uh, and in that first matchup, they had a lot more success running at a gun, which is not what they want to do. And running out of gun, I mean throwing the ball out of gun without play action. It felt like they were able to really get the Ravens rolling a little bit. Part of that was probably that they did pick up the pace and they did uh, 
have to play from behind and the Ravens are playing a little conservative. The Ravens end up taking a big two score lead in that third quarter. And then the tempos, the Texans started pushing the ball and were able to find some nice holes over the middle. So, um, man, I don't know if I've ever been more impressed and to, to pass it to you, but I've, I've never been more impressed with a rookie going to their second read and then throwing it over the middle of the field in that second read. And that is the stuff that is the secret stuff of being a good NFL quarterback. Yeah, and just kind of off a very cursory thing, I went back and watched some highlights of that week one thing, and then just looking through the Browns and Texans uh, stats a little bit, like, I I don't know if Cleveland even had a sack in that game. They definitely didn't show up in the first half when he started to carve them up. He had the long touchdown pass to Schultz there, but Miles Garrick just got absolutely blanked, Um, and, you know, I I think once it it became clear that they weren't going to be able to get to him, to your point, like, when he's not facing pressure and he can just sit back there, the ball just flies off his hand in a way that I, I have not seen with a young quarterback maybe ever to your point uh, about the greatest rookie season. I, you know, he certainly is up there. Um, and it, it was a hundred percent showing in that game with the lack of pressure. But conversely, if you do go back to that week one game, McDonald was doing some interesting things where it wasn't even just the sim pressures. He was just straight up bringing the middle linebackers. A lot of the time, I think both Roquan and queen had a sack in that one. And uh, they were getting pressure with other guys too. I think Clowney might've had one. I think uh, Justin did as well. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that is going to be the key. Like you, you got to get in his face early. You got to get him off his spot because if he starts to get into a rhythm a little bit, I know he's going to be missing some receiving options with uh, Noah Brown, um, going on the, uh, the IR and then he's missing, they're going to be missing their other guy there too. Um, Nico Collins will still be, be in the mix of course and Schultz, but you know, you just gotta, you, you gotta throw him off early. It's pretty basic stuff, but we'll, we'll dive deeper into it. That's just kind of right off the top of my head, what I'm looking at. Yeah, when under pressure, he, like I said, 11 turnover-worthy passes or plays and nine big-time throws, averages 6.4 yards per attempt, 9.3 yards per attempt when kept clean, and his turnover-worthy play rate is less than a third of what it is when he's pressured. So definitely a a massive aspect there. Um, I mean, they're an awesome team because what do they have? They have Shroud, Nico Collins, who – don't disrespect has should have been like he missed a uh, two games I think and Stroud missed a couple games and might have just been an all pro if that hadn't have happened he is outstanding so good after the catch so smooth just sits right down at the top of his routes if he's running a curl or a comeback or a hitch can just sit right down no wasted movement at that uh, height and he is just like a Clydesdale man he just freaking flies downfield he can really get moving and I mean, Laramie Tunsil, and then what? They don't have a lot of talent, so I think that's why some people have been weird about Slowick getting head coaching interviews and stuff because uh, I think, like, Brett Coleman or someone – no, it wasn't Brett Coleman. Someone else is saying, like, well, he's refused to get off that run game all year, but it's like, he's got a rookie quarterback, man. The stupidest thing you can do – look at what the commanders did to Sam Howell, who, I mean, he's not a rookie, but this was his first year really playing – um, and then when you go look at just numbers wise, when Stroud throws downfield, he's the best in the NFL. He's been the best in the NFL this season when pushing the ball downfield. Uh, he has a very low percentage. It's kind of like Purdy. Guess what? Comes from Shanahan's offense, but a very low percentage of his passes are downfield. Uh, deep attempts constitute 11.7% of his throws. Jared Goff, the lowest amount with 7.4 in the NFL. And Stroud is right around Tua, who we talked about. Stafford, who we talked about. Purdy, they don't throw downfield very often. Conversely, like Jordan Love is up at 15%. Will Levis is up at 22%. My God. Uh, But on those 
CJ Stroud, despite not throwing a ton of them, has let me see in completions he is, or excuse me attempts he's 11th but in completions downfield he's third he has nine touchdowns which is like seventh everybody else has 10 or 11 and like he's just been stellar pumping that ball downfield and you simply can't let nico collins beat you you have to treat him like he's justin jefferson like you can't let him beat you it was yeah it was that opening uh opening deep shot to him i think stroud might have spun out a little bit he threw one collins was kind of going one way then he turned back the other tracked it and just made a really really nice catch i that felt like the browns kind of were like oh, okay we got a game here right now i think the browns might have been a little overconfident going into this one to be honest and denzel ward was obviously playing hurt uh they're they're not too talented at cornerback there anyway so it was always going to be tough for them to handle those guys and then yeah they they kind of imposed their will on that first play and it's like all right we're not backing down today and then uh Boy, Cleveland uh, sure did back down on defense. So Revan Jordan, seventy-four yard touchdown. The the Texans do like to kind of fire the ball into the flat a good bit because, like I mentioned, everything's tight. So the flats are usually unoccupied. Defenders want to get depth so they don't get beat downfield. Flats open, quick safety valves. Revan Jordan, Revan Jordan, kind of just shocks, releases, goes downfield, and then I mean, what the fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Ravens, you know, they haven't been immune to the the big plays happening in space there. We saw it with San Francisco a little bit. We saw it with Miami a little bit. Like, you're, you're going to have to tighten that stuff up a little bit. But, all you know, as long as you tighten up in the red area, and we'll get into it, obviously, and just kind of keep them from getting into the end zone, especially early and setting a good tone, keep him in that negative game script. I think you're setting yourself up for uh, for a good second half. Definitely, and the Texans are big play reliant in many ways. I think they're 18th and third down percentage offensively. They're not stellar in the red zone necessarily. I think they're like 15th, somewhere around there. So they need to be able to hurt you and got to tackle. Can't let Nico Collins beat you. And if you lose the, you know, if, if they can, I'm going to say this and it can come back to haunt me. I've kind of been saying it all year though. Like the Ravens shouldn't care if they run the ball or not. Like genuinely, the Texans basically run inside zone, outside zone, stretch, and they pitch the ball a fair, a good bit. They actually pitch the ball to the outside, and they'll hit you a couple a game, but it's like that's what the Ravens did to Shanahan. And Christian McCaffrey had his big drive and his long run and his you know touchdown run, and then it's like, all right, congrats. You have to go do it again and again and again and again and again, and we have all these guys up the spine, and uh, we're going to score. So I don't know. I, I I feel like the Ravens have conceded that in ways, and people are going to come back and say, you know, the the playoffs are about running the ball and playing defense. And I've always felt that way too. But you can't let Nico Collins get going. You have to devote all of your resources to just shutting that out. Yeah, just do the uh, Bill Belichick when he was with the Giants versus the Bills. They go into that first Super Bowl they played against him, and he's like, you know what, Thurman Thomas, you can have yours. I'm going to let you rip off these ten and twenties, and we are just going to shut down Andre Reid and Jim Kelly, and we're not going to let this passing game get going. And we're going to frustrate the shit out of them. And we're going to win a close game with Jeff Hostetler. And uh, it wound up working for them. So maybe not a one-to-one comparison, but, you know, could be something like that. Yeah, for it, it is. And that's a very notable example of that same kind of deal. And I think that has been, especially in the second half of the year, the Ravens' philosophy, because they don't want quarterbacks getting into rhythms. They don't want a quarterback to feel good throwing the ball consecutively over the middle of the field. The Colts in that Week 18 game, just like you mentioned early on, Stroud hits Collins deep. I think that was the first play of the game. It was definitely on the first drive. Collins' 75-yard touchdown over top because the Colts, Gus Bradley, he likes eight defenders in the box. He likes to play that kind of cover three, four-man front, three backers-ish, safeties kind of rolling up towards the, the line of scrimmage, and then he's got his corners on their vertical plane. And 
Nico Collins is a Clydesdale, man. He just ran right by everybody and seven, nothing immediately. And then you're giving that rookie quarterback a ton of confidence. So got to make them go the hard way like the Ravens did against the Rams and the Rams were able to kind of punch them in the mouth a little bit. And I don't know. I, that's fine. That's, that's what you have to live with. You have to give something typically unless a team just punches themselves in the face and fumbles the ball and has false starts. And you know, the quarterback makes a egregious error early in the game, but the Ravens couldn't ask for a better sampling of offenses with Shanahan McVay and Mike McDaniel. They've, this is the fourth of these four, which also gives the Texans a lot of tape too. And the Texans saw it one time and didn't really take any of those shots and kind of just dink and dunked around a little bit, Stroud threw some nice balls over the middle and, uh, you know, move the ball a little, got sacked a few times. Didn't terribly put the ball in danger. Stroud actually did one time. Marcus Williams almost robbed him in that week one game and couldn't bring it down. It was kind of a, a 50, 50 ball, but these Ravens know this type of offense and these Texans should have a lot of tape of a lot of familiar circumstances. And I don't know. It's just funny. I was watching. I was like, man, it, it would just be hilarious. Like everybody wants to loud Brock Purdy so much who, or loud Brock Purdy who's so much who's had a good year. Great year. Sure. But it's just like watching Stroud. You can just feel his ability to be an actual playmaker more so with less resources. And it's like, oh my God, if Shanahan had him, he would cry. We, uh, we were talking about him as an MVP, like midway through the season, Stroud. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. And, and I think if not for that injury, and maybe if the Texans probably win another game or two, and maybe probably don't get drummed by the Jets, which I still want to go watch, but uh, might might have gotten a couple votes there. Who Nobody else really did but Lamar for first-team All-Pro, so I, I guess that should pretty much line up with MVP votes. Maybe a five-vote difference. Maybe Lamar gets like 38, 40 votes. But, man, a lot of familiarity. These teams have played each other, and, and we will dive deeper into it. But I guess, you know, we can kind of scale back and, and talk about this wildcard weekend as a whole. Yep, let's do it. Uh, before we jump into it, I wanted to shout out our friends over at BlackEyedSusanSpices.com. Uh, great hot sauce company. They make great products. It's good for this time of year when you're trying to heat your food up a little bit, get some of that spice into your diet and liven things up. Uh, BlackEyedSpices.com is their website. Check it out. Uh, promo code exit 52 for 20% off if you're ordering online. And uh, at your participating Ace Hardware locations on the shelves, that is in Canton, Fed Hill. It's in the D.C. suburbs. It's uh, listed all there on their website. So check out Black Eyed Susan Spices or BlackEyedSpices.com. Excuse me. Promo code exit 52. Shout out to those guys. And uh, now we can get into it. What do you want to talk about? I mean, we can go in chronological order here. We talked about the Texans and the Browns a bit, but just a true weird game at first kind of goes punt, 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 and then points, points, points. And then the, the play that stuck out to me as someone that watched Joe Flacco for a very long time was just him scrambling for no reason. Joe, what are you doing? And letting a defender come up and just put a lick on him. And the defender, as, as you like to say, uh, spun on it, doing tricks on it, doing tricks on it. And, then I knew it was over. That's what I said. I was watching at Lee's Pint and Shell in Canton and was like, oh, okay, he's – and we started joking around and we're like, this game, I think they said Flacco would win $500,000 if he won that game. He would he would get a bonus of that. It was either two hundred and fifty or 500000 And we were like, not enough for Joe to want to keep going after this one. Maybe We were like, what is the number? Like $3.5 that would make him really want to push through? What What is the number there? So 
from that point forward, they hit him and then get just two egregious pick sixes <laughs> that just, it was, it was all too familiar. He turned into check down Joe. And I just think that Browns fans got the entirety of Joe Flacco's existence as a Baltimore Raven in what, seven games Yeah, where it's like, he started out, you see the big arm, he makes a couple mistakes. Then he morphs into this superhero for a little while when you need him to. And then the, the tail end, you know, 2015 through 2018 there just got hit, turned into check down Joe, made a couple throws, made a couple plays, but didn't really want to uh, to keep going there, it felt like. It was that first pick where, and I, I said this on Twitter, like that that's when they snapped out of it. That's when they woke up from the dream because like two weeks ago, that would have been a completion. And he had completions like that against the Texans the first time they played where he's just hawking one up to Amari Cooper on fourth and seven or whatever it is. He had a one against the Bears where it's like third and 15. Nagjoku just somehow wide open. Nobody within a country mile. He runs and converts that, keeps them alive in that game. You know, he got a little lucky and he got a little lucky in his time here in Baltimore. It's funny. I think a little bit sometimes about uh, people will maybe remember when they were backed up in their own end zone in the mile high miracle game, that Denver game, third and 12, he hits Dennis Pitta. What a lot of people don't remember is a play before that. He kind of just panically like throws one to his left and Mike Adams, I think was the safety uncle Mike. He uh he was about that close to intercepting it and getting foot, both feet in bounds. He caught it and he had like maybe one foot go uh, out and it was very close to being in and that would have been game over right then and there. He he has gotten lucky sometimes and I'm not taking away from that playoff run or any of his other playoff success because it takes a lot of balls to play the way that he does and just fire the ball and like you either got that or you don't if you're a quarterback and I think guys like Stroud have that guys like Lamar have that and Joe certainly had that to his credit. He had his faults but. That was one thing that he was, was willing to let it rip. But when that starts to work against you, like there's nobody that like rides the wave of positivity and the negativity more than him. And you mentioned the getting hit and not wanting to be there. I think that very much was a 39 year old with, you know, seven kids at home or whatever it is at this point. That was just not like, to mention that he has two. I can't remember if they're herniated discs. I think it was two herniated discs in his back and a repaired ACL. He's also 6'6 and like 225. Yeah, and whatever else he's probably had over the years that like didn't go on the injury report, right? Like that's a, that's a lot of football that he played. You know, he was a starter. And he for, also used to get obliterated too. He like played, yeah. shoved into the dirt. He played in pr like, like the AFC North in its prime with big hitting defenses, not just the Steelers. Lamar the, Woodley he, and freaking uh, Vontez Perfect. Yep. And... Phil Taylor the Browns, on the Browns. The Browns had some oafs too. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, he's, he's played in a lot of games like that and you know, he's, his body has had a lot of wear and tear and it was a, it was a great run. I was happy for him. I, I wasn't like necessarily one way or the other. It seemed like some people really wanted to polarize that whole thing. I was certainly rooting against the Browns, but I did like just as a sports fan, it was a cool story. Uh, and then I also had a little fun with the fact that it just kind of just generally it was just a pie to the face of the whole Deshaun Watson acquisition. Who knows what's going to happen there? I mean, obviously Watson's just going to be the guy next year, I guess. But, you know, do they keep Flacco on the roster? You know, it seems like he's open to coming back and playing again. So maybe he'll be the backup and that would maybe create uh, create some interesting pressure if Deshaun doesn't get off to a good start next year. So something to watch. But overall, that ride is over and uh, Texans keep it rolling. Texans do keep it rolling and. I think that is the dangerous part of that sword, right? Is that the Browns shellack the Texans without CJ Stroud. And then you see a, a army of people on Twitter and everywhere else going, well, the Browns already rolled in there. And Amari Cooper had his 260 yards and this, that, and the other. And 
that usually doesn't go well in the playoffs. I don't know. There, apparently, I'm wrong about that. Apparently, there's not you know, teams when they meet a second time or a third time or whatever it is in the playoffs. The team that won first does win more than blah 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 blah. But I don't know those when those don't happen. It does hurt really badly. And it happened to the Ravens. I mean, Lamar and Lamar and company went into L.A. when they were playing in that soccer stadium, and Mark Andrews with a 69 yard touchdown. And then uh, you know they play him a couple weeks later, and they get punched in the mouth by that Chargers team. So. And the Ravens play a team that they have already played this year. So does add to the the mystery of things. And it is that Texans team. And I don't know, man, it was just Nico Collins just stood out to me. And when you watch the Texans tape, there's just moments consistently of him charging down the field. And he, he doesn't look as formidable as he did at Michigan for whatever reason. But then he just runs through dudes' faces and it happened in that game and just continuously just punching in the mouth. So Nico Collins, a true horse. And he's kind of, he kind of reminds me of Kyle Hamilton. Kind of like got that same tall hitter quality to him. He looks kind of like the bullet bill in Mario. Like he's just got the like kind of the big shoulder pads and like the bullet bill has like the weird arms on the side. And it's just like this constant forward motion. Hard to bring down. Obviously the bullet bill, you got to jump over it. You can't touch it. Otherwise you're you're obviously you're getting shrunken down or you're losing a life. And he, that's kind of what he reminds me of a little bit. I think I've said that about Debo too. So maybe I need to reach into my bag a little further, but he has Debo to him. Yeah. Debo's a, and that's the thing I wanted to mention too earlier. We'll move on after this, but they like to CJ Stroud does an awesome ball hitting awesome job hitting guys in stride with the ball so that they can run through the catch. We saw, for instance, in the game we'll call, I guess talk about it a little later, but Jalen Hurts gets a little RPO-ish type slant to Devontae Smith early in that game, and he takes it like 50 yards, but he had to reach back behind himself when he had no one over the middle of the field. It slows him down and he couldn't run through the catch and into the end zone. So Stroud does that so well. We saw a couple of those in this one and Make sure that guys can uh, – and, and he does the Tom Brady thing, protects guys, which I think we saw in this Browns game too. They wanted to come downhill and hit at the catch, and Stroud throws the ball back away and protects you so that you know they have to hit through your back. And if you do that, you're getting kicked out of the game. So uh, just a really nice job overall. And I just it, – it, what even really blows my mind too is how many passes Joe Flacco ends up throwing. Like That was just never going to be sustainable – they have him drop back 50 times, I think three different times this season. And I know you don't have Chubb and I know you're missing some linemen, but geez, oh geez, man, going into the playoffs with Joe Flacco at 39 years old and ask him to drop back 50 times is not a recipe for success. Yeah, that was never a recipe for success when he was in his prime. Like he, he was just always a play action, run the ball 20 times, maybe he throws 25 to 30. That's a sweet spot. Like you, you don't want to be doing that with a guy like him. No, you don't. And, and he did it a couple times, whatever, but especially in his like prime in those 2000 what 10 to 14 years but man and the browns defense just disaster class thing that stood out there cj stroud got the ball out in 2.44 seconds which is way lower than his average and like you mentioned earlier i mean laramie tunsil has just been a miles garrett eraser in his career has the lowest pressure rate allowed when facing miles garrett and that big bad browns defense just blowing coverage after coverage after coverage dalton schultz wide open downfield eventually Mechie having his way a little bit later in that one. So the Browns like to play a lot of man coverage and Bobby Slowick had some man beaters and Texans just drum them, man. And those, those pick sixes, the, the second one to Christian Harris just knew it was coming 10 billion trillion miles away and jumped in and takes it back. And it was just like, Oh, 
that's where I finally felt bad for Josie. Oh, okay. It, yeah, it was tough. I mean, he he went out pretty sad there, um, as did the Browns. I mean, I don't know. I think people were maybe getting a little too crazy, kind of not seeing the forest through the trees for what was going on with all that. But uh, yeah, I'm glad. Listen, I'm glad that they're not coming here. I didn't want to deal with that storyline. And especially if they had won that game, they'd have been feeling a little more confident. But, you know, it th- there was always a shelf life with this. It's easy to say in, re- in retrospect, but that's the way I feel. That's what we talked about last week. The next one at night in the freezing tundra of Kansas City at Arrowhead, the Kansas City Chiefs whip up on the Miami Dolphins in a game that just was a thorough kind of smacking for the most part, 26-7. to The Dolphins don't score in the second half there. And I don't know, I've, I've, I felt quite uh, correct about that game and about Patrick Mahomes and about the Chiefs and all of the, the Chief doubters. You see Rasheed Rice go make plays. Travis Kelsey, it looked like Travis Kelsey, Mahomes threw like a 101-mile-an-hour fastball early in that game that hit off his, like, it looked like it was his left middle three fingers, and he went after and shook his hand. Shook his hand, he dropped that one. Travis Kelsey dropped like a million balls in this one. Uh, Pacheco had his Sonic the Hedgehog moments. And it just never was going to go that way. Tua suddenly is not the guy after he was the MVP a month ago. And Tyreek Hill, you know, makes a couple plays, relatively held in check. The Dolphins just don't feed A-Chain for whatever reason. And I, I don't really get what that was all about. Uh, I don't know how someone that averages like a borderline historic yards per touch in that cold weather, you end up having walking out of that game with him having six carries and I don't even know if he, he caught three balls. They did give him a couple targets, actually, but uh, Tyreek Hill has a long 53-yarder in that one, and you know, Dolphins push for a moment, but you also got to feel kind of shitty for the Dolphins because they just, I mean, Javon Holland's out half the year. Jalen Ramsey's out half the year to start. Xavier Howard misses this one. No Bradley Chubb, no Jalen Phillips, no Andrew Van Ginkle, and what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to do going into Arrowhead when it's five degrees out? and the beers are all freezing up, and you have half of your starting defense out. They just looked like they didn't want to be there at the end. Like, they, the play calling was weird, and Tua was just kind of throwing it up, and, you know, it, it, they they went out sad as well, and this was one that I missed on. I thought the Dolphins would keep it way more competitive. I even sprinkled the money line, I think, on one of my bets for them. Um, and, yeah, it, that was just a, a tough performance, and what else could you expect from them? Like you said, in weather like that, in conditions like that, it was always the Chiefs. The Chiefs were just they're, – they're more physically built – uh, on defense, they're they're just willing, able to withstand some of that. I know the Dolphins were missing guys, but they they're just built for this type of football right now. And Mahomes is just built to play in any environment. He's just bigger, he's stockier, he's got more meat on his bones, he's tougher. Tua is just kind. Of, he looks a little nebbish out there. Like I know he's not a small guy, but he's a little shorter, and he's just he's his limbs aren't very long. He just looks like he's like I don't know. It just doesn't feel right sometimes with him. Like Mahomes is no, just like, this big Adonis, just like gliding like a gazelle out there at times. And he's pointing and, you know, he's pointing after like picking up first downs and he's completing these long passes and he's still doing his other antics, throwing the arms up and cocking his head. But like, that's all part of the experience. And he just, he looks like he's built for that stage. And Tua just, man, he just kind of shrunk in that moment. I feel very much like my Tom Brady, the, the feelings I had on Tom Brady early in his career, I hated him later in his career. I started to love him. And I feel that about Mahomes now because people were so foolish to think that he at least couldn't get this done. And, hey, maybe the Bills do bounce them. That's just an all-time showdown in this one, two teams that are missing horses and uh, you know have their own flaws and whatever. But 
I, I, Mahomes, like you said, he is such a dangerous scrambler. That's what I've said for a couple of years. The most dangerous scrambler in the NFL. Yeah. He does such a good job knowing how to escape, where to escape. He's always just fast enough, and he is a NFL athlete. He is meaty enough to go, you know, throw his body around if need be. And I don't know, man. You never really see him take a lick. Like, I, okay. <laughs> if he gives you a chance, you got to try. If there's one person that's worth getting ejected for in this league, it's Patrick Mahomes. And I don't know. We haven't really seen him. I can't think of a time of him like downfield taking a big shot. Like I've seen Josh Allen get laid out. I've seen Lamar get laid out. But Mahomes does a great job both protecting himself, but also just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and having fun at Arrowhead. So uh, it, it was a true frozen plains experience in Arrowhead. And that defense, a very good unit. And people forget about playoff spags. Playoff spags is not to be reckoned with. He is a damn genius when it comes playoff time and has that defense on a string they get pressure they have chris jones Karloftis is getting in there they've got these linebackers i mentioned that can run and hit and uh, legerius sneed is a fucking bully at the line of scrimmage he is one of the best cornerbacks in the nfl and that defense can go and i think that matchup is so that bill's chiefs matchup is so similar they are so similar in so many ways Bills have a little bit more juice on the outside just because of digs. The Chiefs have a little bit better offensive line, maybe a little more diverse run game. And then both those defenses remind you of each other. The Chiefs may be a little bit more aggressive and the Bills may be a little bit more uh, clean and mistake-free. And they have those safeties on the back end. But, man, those teams remind me of each other. Yeah, McDuffie's turned into a nice player for them too, I think. And, you know, it's... In the slot, they, they moved him into the nickel and he's been doing the, some damage. Yeah, that was always going to be the right spot for him. I knew Spags would definitely figure out what to do with him. They, they've done a nice job overall with that defense. So, yeah, it was, uh you know, to your point about this game, it wasn't the most fun watch, but you mentioned Spags, man. He You talk about guys that have been there and done that. He's done it, you know, however many times now. And he was actually with the Ravens for a year, funny enough, I think secondary coach in maybe 2014. Um, and yeah, just an absolute G and he's going to have those guys ready to go. I think, uh, against Josh Allen and that's going to be, God, that's going to be a fight to the death. I can't wait to watch that game. Definitely fastest. I've ever had a realization in my life was the second Packers touchdown where they go up 14, nothing of, Oh my God, the, that reminds you of a 2019 Ravens Titans game. I, I hate to always talk about those, but it was just like, Oh my God, it's happening. Okay. It's over. They found the weakness. The other quarterbacks playing well. They're hitting the shots, and holy shit, the the Packers, man. I mean, the the biggest realization I think I had this entire weekend is that Matt Lafleur was forcing growth probably, and not calling his quote unquote best shit necessarily all the time until he absolutely needed to late in the year. I don't think he expected to make the playoffs with this team. I don't think he needed to. I think that he had job security. I don't think he felt any pressure there. And that makes him dangerous. And when you go look at the final scoreboards, what was I saying? You know, I said that the the Texans, the Packers, the Steelers, the Bucks, and the, the Rams, I guess, too, a little bit, all kind of accomplished their goals. And so I thought teams like the Eagles might, you know, roll in there and take care of business. It was the opposite. They had no pressure. The Packers had no pressure to win and played free. And my God, did they just run high low crossing stuff? And the Cowboys were the Cowboys secondary. I don't think I've ever seen a secondary of a worse playoff game. What the fuck were they doing back there? I have no idea. Jordan Love has turned into 
a real playmaker on third down and was hurting the Cowboys on third down, breaking their back. Aaron Jones now has, I think, nine touchdowns in four games against the Cowboys. He's had a three-touchdown game, a four-touchdown game, and scored in the other two they played. So the Packers do run their shit. Aaron Rodgers is not a person. Brett Favre is not a person. Jordan Love is not a person. It is just Bart Starr, man. They are all just Bart Starr. And uh, the the ghost of Lombardi just haunts the Dallas Cowboys. Man, did they run their shit into the ground. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I'm not going to pat myself on the back too much. I don't think I picked the Packers outright here, but I was like, look, man, the Cowboys in the playoffs, it, may, it doesn't make rational sense. It shouldn't make rational sense that this happens every single time with them, but it's going to be a spectacle one way or the other. This is not going to be like a blowout. It's not going to be a comfortable game. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's happened before. You mentioned that Buccaneers game for sure. But more often than not, you get them into this position and weird shit just tends to happen. And with the way Jordan Love was playing, I was like, man, if he if he can take advantage of some of these guys and maybe, you know, I know Bland has made some plays on the back end there for them. But if he if he can make a couple throws and start to start to, you know, get people shift in their seats a little bit like this could be a little bit of a shootout. And uh, that's what I was expecting. And not only. Was it that? But I mean, they kind of just ran away with it. it. It really wasn't that much of a close game at all. And when he started to really get into his groove and like, it's funny, he almost turns into more and more of a caricature of how he plays as the games go on. Like he starts off and he gets a little off platform, but then he starts to feel himself and he starts to like leave his feet and just like do this crazy arm angle shit and just complete some of the wildest throws for as many like wide open throws. And he had maybe the most wide open touchdown you'll ever see. I forget that it might've been a Jaden Reed. Um, there were equally an amount of ones where it was, you know, guy up in a dude's grill guy up in his grill and he just sky hooks it, you know, off his back foot or whatever. And it's just a dot right on the, right on the screws. Uh, one of the more impressive rookie quarterback playoff performances I think I've seen. I know we talked all about Stroud and that was amazing, but I mean, comparatively with what, uh, with what love had to deal with there going on the road in a hostile environment there in Jerry world. Um, with the struggles that he's had at times this season. I mean, there were there were times this season where we're like, oh man, is he really going to be the guy? And then he's just turned it on here down the stretch. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with his contract too. Like he he signed that one where he was kind of almost betting against himself a little bit. And he's like, yeah, let, just let's settle things down a little bit and get me uh, some secure money here while I figure this out. Um, man, what what a weird, long, strange trip it's been for Jordan Love. And uh, I guess he is... Uh, Certainly uh, earned himself a ton of job security here as their quarterback. Definitely going to get a big contract. I think that number might start with a five in terms of uh, tens of millions. And that it just that first Dak interception, I think it was on the Cowboys' second drive, if I'm not mistaken there. Uh, Packers go right down and score. They didn't have a single third down until uh, third and five on the Dallas six. Demarcus Lawrence gets a neutral zone infraction. And then Aaron Jones just plunges it in. The Cowboys kind of work their way up a little bit, complete a couple balls. Prescott has a scramble there, gets up to the Green Bay 49. They end up punting there, uh, incomplete targeting CeeDee Lamb, who that, I mean, I feel like that incompletion, if you can recall on the first drive, it was like a little shake route, little stick and nod type route on a linebacker. And Dak just threw it on a like really low trajectory when CeeDee, beat his man and just Dak got the ball out too early. The timing was off. And I really do feel like the pressure it's like, Oh, Jerry world's a tough place to play. feels like it's a tougher place to play for the home team in the playoffs because of the expectations that that fan base city owner 
have on their coaches, on their team, everything like that. And that was the beginning of the toxicity that you could kind of see. CD was fucking pissed on the Cowboys opening drive. He was fucking pissed. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And Dak just wilted from there. Packers punt the ball, third and five, picked by Jair Alexander. Throw, you know, Brandon Cooks runs kind of a shitty little route there, just kind of sits down with somebody in his face. He got bodied on that by Jair. I mean, that was that was robbery. There are some crazy tweets about Jair saying some words I'm not going to say, but saying like he he's dumb as fuck, but goddamn is that kid good at football? Um, what a weird guy he is, and how good is he at football? Just an absolute dog. And then from there, what shocked me was you know the the that makes it 14 nothing, and then first play for the Cowboys, Tony Pollard, if I recall correctly, rumbles, and they they just get completely away from the run game there against Joe Barry's dog shit run defense. <laughs> And it was just like, what the fuck are you? Dak's dropping back 60 times. I had the worst weekend ever starting with this. The worst Sunday of my life starting with this game. Great, great time for me to start trailing you too, by the way. No, no offense. It meant at all. Yeah, I went five. I went, I think six and oh, and with including two parlays, I went four and oh on straight bets and then hit two parlays. I go up huge personally on Saturday. Then this game, I'm like, all right, you know, CD touchdown, Cowboys, you know, minus two and a half. Cowboys minus six and a half. I thought they'd get it done. That obviously doesn't happen. I am talking shit about Joe Flacco at, at Lee's Pine and Shell because my stupid idiot, fuck you, Clark, my stupid idiot friend is like, just wait, Flacco's going to come back. And we, I have like a, I run a DraftKings league privately. And so I'm talking shit to him like, what are you talking about, dude? He's fucking th- got rocked. He's throwing picks. What are you? He's like, I'm a Flacco loyalist, whatever. You'll see. And I had Brevin Jordan in my lineup for our DraftKings in this thing. Has a 70-yard touchdown. He cost $2,600, the cheapest tight end available that actually plays this week. So I'm like talking shit. I'm like, yeah, I'll bet you $250 that my lineup beats yours. Because I thought he had Flacco in his lineup, and he didn't. He had Matt Stafford, who I also had. That's all-time just just cloak and dagger stuff by your guy there, Clark. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, okay, I'll bet you $200. I'm, I'm like drunk at the bar kidding. Like, oh, whatever. You're so he's like, he's like saying he's still gonna win, whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I'll bet you $250. My lineup beats yours. He goes, hmm, deal. And so I'm drunk and ballsy. I'm like, fuck it, I'll take it. I have Brevin Jordan with a touchdown. I end up having Matt Stafford, CD Lamb, Cooper Cup, who I lost like eight hundred dollars on this weekend, and CD uh and uh Amon Ra St. Brown. He also has Amon Ra, and then he has Jake Ferguson, of course. So I'm watching this game and Jake fucking Ferguson catches two garbage time touchdowns, ends up scoring 40 points. I end up losing. If he would have thrown one of those to CD instead of Jake Ferguson, I would have won. Or if he just simply didn't throw Jake Ferguson for 110 yards and three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, fuck you, Dak, fuck the Cowboys, fuck Jake Ferguson. I'm done forever. I hate them all. Yeah, I think I needed a CD touchdown there, and it's just fucking Jake Ferguson, the, you know, the the Cavender curse. He, he's going down there and scoring those two touchdowns. If I, I think if CD scored, I would have netted out like four hundred dollars. That would have saved my entire weekend. But fuck no, we can't get CD in the end zone. They started getting him going. I started getting excited. Watched that game all the way through. Brutal. And you know what? Maybe this is punishment for you for you breaking your dry January so early. What happened? It was what I don't know. Whatever. I said, but the, it started out with dry January, except on football days. So I, I really actually mostly you, you were doing the PFT, mostly dry January, uh, moist January. I said the, the, what I said originally was on football days. I'm probably going to drink. That's yeah. That's probably, it, that is going to be put to the test for me this coming Saturday. That's all I'll say on it. Uh, certainly. And then 
that so that game, whatever, I'm like, all right, well, at least I have Cooper Cup, who certainly is going to have 69 and a half receiving yards and probably score a touchdown. I do all this research. I end up figuring out that, you know, basically the last 11 teams that have played the Lions, the number one receiver has gone for like 150 yards and a fucking touchdown. The starting receivers against the Lions are like number one guys, except for the Broncos game. Jerry Judy ended up being the leading receiver for the Broncos, but they're averaging like seven catches for 130 yards and a touchdown. So in my head, I say, oh, I think it's going to be Cooper Cup. I think they're going to go to Cup in the playoffs. Cup is super experienced. He's been there. He's done that. Puka's been great. I write in the article that I release on Pressbox Online and say, pick either one. I think they'll both get it. I ended up betting $350 on Cup and Nakua to just both reach 50 yards individually. And Stafford misses Cup in that game. That game was a dogfight. It was a good game. I was kind of sick in my stomach the whole time because they wouldn't fucking get Cooper Cup the ball. But um, that game was an absolute dogfight. Stafford just in the grittiest performance of gritty performances going back to Detroit. And lo and behold, misses Cooper Cup, who I also have in DraftKings. I think it was like a little boot or something. Cooper Cup leaks out completely uncovered. Zero defenders around him zero defenders around him, probably, I don't know, 26 yards downfield on the sideline. And I think Stafford fucking throws it too far out of bounds. Somehow, some way, probably would have been like a 50-yard touchdown. We've seen Cooper Cup in the open field. He does that little stop-start, like toast toe drag thing on you, and uh, you, you just like skirt in front of him. So that would have at least gotten me yards. I would have at least gotten 350 to win, like I think 350 back. So it would have put me up in a good spot. And then he gets three fucking end zone targets. Doesn't catch any of those either for the touchdowns. And uh, that was just insult to injury. So uh, screw you, Cooper Cup. Screw you, Jake Ferguson. I got absolutely slaughtered. And that was a terrible day for me. Yeah, it was. And I guess we can jump into that Lions-Rams game. What a scene there in Detroit. Uh, that that house was packed out. I, th- have we seen them? host a playoff game i don't think we ever have i think the one no no no, not not in your life and i think i was i think the year i was born they hosted a playoff game yeah they they played the one in dallas that that was they haven't won their division since 1993 the year i was born yeah that was romo's one playoff win i think was over the lions uh in dallas with stafford they kind of got jobbed at the end there uh but yeah what a scene i mean it was that was really cool to see just genuinely um you know fans that have been tortured for so 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 long and i don't even think it gets talked about enough how detroit the, or how tortured the detroit fans are because a lot of attention goes to cleveland with the move and everything that they had and the jets are just a, a traveling circus a lot of the time the lions are just very quietly like they've had the 0 and 16 they've never won that playoff game they kind of wasted stafford a little bit wasted galvin johnson wasted barry to an extent back in the day and uh man they hold on and they get it done and i think the story of that game has to be how jared Goff played I think he outplayed Stafford, even though Stafford did play very well. He had another one of his uh, trademark, uh, trademark kind of toughness moments there. I, I see you uh, shaking your head a little bit there. I think it was pretty, pretty equal performance, but I, I'd probably give the eggs to Jared overall. Um, I'd still take Stafford over him, but I, I think on that day, that that was his day. How, how do you feel about that? I, I'm not going to take anything away. Lions fans deserve it, and Golf did play well. But what Stafford has to do versus what Goff has to do is just solar differences in terms of, yeah, you know, it's training wheels versus, uh, you know, a Suzuki motorcycle. Like Jared Goff has to do stunts and drift on a motorcycle and, and ride the tight turns. And Jared Goff or Stafford does that. And then Goff just kind of, I don't know, can fire the ball to Monroe St. Brown is a good run game, good offensive line. And 
Uh, well, Laporta, making some tight window throws real, there. You know, he 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 had some guys in uh, some was, tight areas. He was fine. He was fine. But, uh, Stafford, I don't know. They ask a lot more. Ben Johnson is incredible. That's that's kind of my point there. Um, creates a lot of things. And golf was good. The thing that made golf good was that he didn't make a mistake. Right. He didn't fuck it up. He just had to not fuck it up and barely got out of there with a win on that final catch by Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, I think the Rams did a sh- I actually don't even, I was going to say they did a shitty job or he Morris, but they just don't have the coverage talent. That's to- my thing with golf. Like, I'm glad they put it in golf's hands there because if they had just run it out and said like, all right, we're going to punt it away and see what Stafford can do. Like that would have been a real indictment on him. The fact that they were willing and to refuses to do that too. We yeah. Know that from the Dallas game and everything else. Right. And I like overall, it does go back to Campbell. I think like golf is not the main character of that team, but um, overall it's just like, you know, some good, some good redemption stories over the weekend. I think he shines pretty brightly among them. Um, and yeah, you know, over, I think you are right that Stafford is certainly more the truck while golf is the trailer when we're talking about that kind of comparison. Golf was, golf was good and he deserves it and good for him. I just like don't really feel that bad for him. He's made like $200 million cash at this point in his career and already, you know, won an NFC and it, it was cool. He's a good guy. He seems like a good dude. Um, I don't know. I just, I thought Stafford was fucking gritty as hell and I like that. But no, I agree. I, I'm Stafford. I mean, and it was cool. Like Nate Tice when he went down and then, he, I mean, he got fucking smoked on that hit goes down he goes into the medical tent and then Nate Tice tweets out the uh that awesome clip of him when he was with the Lions and just absolutely gets his shit rocked versus the Browns and he draws a, a PI and like it's a really cool video they're not even really showing the plays they're just kind of holding it on Stafford the whole time like literally just crying in pain like you can hear like tears coming to him and you know he, he forces himself back in there throws a touchdown and they kick the extra point and win that game and that, that was just a cool kind of Callback, good job by you, Nate Tice. And um, yeah, he he got back in there and he didn't look any worse for the wear. Like he was still just firing it. And I mean, he messed up finger too. He has the whole patch. Yeah. Yeah. He was bleeding from the knuckle there. And, you know, I mean, we did, we belly ached about Cooper Cup, but Puka Nakua, like fucking bona fide superstar. Like it's not even a doubt at this point. Like, I mean, that was, I know people already know about Anquan Bolden. Someone else said Heinz Ward. I mean, just the, the toughness of that dude is unprecedented like in in this era of football that style of receiver is not a thing and even i mean amon ra is kind of in that category and so is cup too so it was like the tough dudes tough dude off between nakua and and amon ra who ends up getting that kind of game winner there at the end yeah and when you say tough dude you kind of think that that comes for a compromise of speed and like i know eric was talking to the group chat of like why did he fall was it like the four or five speed there i mean that does not show up on tape at all like he plays so freaking fast and you know, like I said, the Bolden thing, like he's just, you know, jumping up and just muscling the ball away from guys and kind of always seems yeah, I mean, to be probably has the best hands in the NFL in terms of like, I can hand catch the ball off the ground with traffic around me, the concentration and the, the ball catching talent that he has. Yeah. And he was doing that, that stuff against the Ravens when he wasn't even wearing gloves because it was wet out, like just making these insane, insane catches, but also just has the speed and the burst and the quickness. Like he is, uh, Man, there there are not many guys that I'd, I'd build a wide receiver room uh, other than him. If you need somebody to open a jar of pickles, I bet that dude has some crazy grip strength if he wants to. Yeah, it's the uh, all his time out there on the Big Island. You know, shout out to Big Content Guy. Um, we don't have to linger on that too much, but yeah, I mean, this game is also so crazy because it goes, I think, eight play drive. David Montgomery touchdown. I think the Rams kick a field goal after a long drive there with a couple penalties. Then the Lions go up 14 to three. And then that's where we get the Nakua uh, leak out 
on the backside, 50-yard touchdown wide open. So it goes literally touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown to start the game, I think. And then I think the Lions respond again to Laporta there, who I think he, I don't know, he was not supposed to play early in the week and I guess just healed up. Like whatever they did with him, do that to everybody. He just healed up and looked good in this one, scores a touchdown, makes a couple plays. I feel like this was such a close game and two very strongly matched teams that if he did not play, I feel like that could have even tilted it. Like this was a game where it's like the the princess and the pea, you know, a feather tipping the scale just enough for one team to win. And Laporta who's had arguably, I mean, statistically the best tight end season ever as a rookie and makes plays in this one too, scores a touchdown there and uh, just, just rolling around on the ground. And then guess what? Tutu Atwell. Shout out to Tutu, who's sleeping behind me here somewhere. Of course. Um, so you named Tutu him Tutu Atwell on a seed. Stafford lodges into his abdomen. Then he scores a touchdown. So it's like <laughs> touchdown, field goal, touchdown, 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 touchdown to start the game. The Atwell one was crazy. It looked like an interception at the time. Like he he was so boxed out by whoever was uh, covering there. Like the TV angle, like he was completely silhouetted by that guy. Stafford just fitted in there and he ran away from him. That was wild. It was. Money Badger hits a uh, 54-yarder there. And then uh, Mar comes back, who, I mean, the, the turnstile is the Mur. Maher. That the, Maher. Uh, real time Maher. Real time with Brett Maher. Club real random. Time with Brett Maher. Yeah. Uh, then he hits two field goals there, and then, you know, the, the Lions are able to just kind of hold up. And, I mean, Jesus, it just felt like the I – mean, if you were – the Detroit fans were all crying in the stands and shit. Like, I, I, follow, I follow a lot of Lions content guys for whatever reason. They just have a lot of good film guys and stuff that I like. Maddie Brown, a bunch of them. And they're all like crying in the stands. They're like, oh my God, because it had to feel inevitable that Stafford was going to strike in your face in the fourth quarter and rip that out of your throat and just like basically blow up your city, like freaking Bane blowing up Gotham, you know, Heinz Field. It had to feel like that was coming. And for them, fire rises. They just barely barely escape there doesn't the, matter what our plan is exactly yes this and is our plan i was born in the dark it would be extremely right. painful for <laughs> you. that's my that's a good one yeah. shout out ronnie rivers too in this one sick name sick running back a little bit had a nice game love that love great that. and uh yeah i mean it comes down to a holding call the the rams get the ball there uh fourth quarter and i'm looking at the game book Rams get the ball there third and four on the Detroit 34 and they're in field goal range. And then holding Rob Havenstein, Frederick guy. Oh yeah. And Jesus Christ, I played him in high school. It was like, it was like playing the mountain. And uh, then Stafford can't get it done. And they punt the ball on the Detroit 44. It would be nice to have a guy like Tucker there, wouldn't it? And then, First down, Amon Rob St. Brown gets another first down there. McVay blew a bunch of timeouts in this one on stupid that shit. Was, that was fucking egregious, man. I saw Greg Rosenthal saying that's a pretty regular thing for him. I wasn't aware of that. If that is, like, man, talk about, like, the, like a Greek god character who has, like, the one flaw. Like, the actual literal Achilles heel. That's tough. Whenever I play uh, Scramble and we do, like, goofy rules and stuff, like you can throw the ball or something or whatever... Like we always save our, I always say like, let's save our challenges and timeouts till the end of the fourth quarter. Oh yeah. Like always save your challenge, save your mulligan, save whatever you got in the scramble. 
do not be in a close game with one timeout at the end of the game there, two timeouts there, especially on the road too, where you know shit's probably going to get messed up because of communication. And I, I don't know. Some, sometimes I think that TV broadcasting, I think that they kind of are good at uh, parsing in the crowd noise or not if they want it for whatever yeah, reason. They, they, they are, yeah, like explicitly. And, and in that game, it sounded like Detroit was like, like a freaking fire horn throughout that entire stadium at times. So, uh, man, that was a close one. That was an awesome one. Rams cover, which, you know, winning's great. Covering's better. But shit, man. And, and uh, yeah, to, I mean, to your credit, yeah, Goff did – make the one throw at the end there to St. Brown to really put the icing on it, which felt like such a Dan Campbell thing to do in that situation. Like let's put the ball in Jared's hand, have confidence in the guy that, you know, McVay didn't have confidence in and then go fire it to the son of a meathead there in Amon Ross St. Brown, son of John Brown and let him go pick up that first down. And yeah, Nakua and Amon Ross St. Brown superstars, a lot of young superstars emerging in wildcard weekend. Yeah, yeah. To the to the golf point, just you know, he's certainly limited. I think you need a guy with more athleticism overall. But like when he's at his best, and he needs to be at his best to pl- to win games like this, he's just fitting the ball in windows that uh, are very impressive. The Laporta touchdown, especially the being on fourth down, was one of them, and then uh, a couple other really nice throws throughout that game. But uh, not to linger on that one any longer, we can now move to Orchard Park, where our friends from Pittsburgh uh, walked into their trap and were politely escorted out of their trap. Not, not I don't much. Like, I don't like saying that too much. I want, I want that to be moratorium on that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm having fun with it. I'm not endorsing it. Retweets are not. I know, I know, I know. I just don't like it. A lot of Ravens fans are saying that. And it's giving me a bad feeling in my tummy hosting a playoff game. Do not. Like, yeah, you know, whatever. They're going to come after us anyway. Not. You know, if, like you're going to have to withstand the storm anyway. You might as well, you know, fly the flag a little bit. I don't I don't fuck with the football gods right before a playoff game. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say on that one. Well, I think but, I you could make the argument that the Steelers were doing that when, you know, dancing in the locker room, you know, after guess beating what happened. That's what I'm saying. So I don't know. Jay, well, the, the Ravens themselves are not doing that. I'm the one doing that. That's fine. That's fine. You can have that. I'm I, it makes me want to throw up when, okay. if I were to do it. Uh Josh Allen over 228 yards passing. That broke my spirits, mainly because of his little little uh, Fred Flintstone 52-yard scamper there. And honestly, honestly, the Steelers like both looked like a joke in this game, but also good for them at the same time, like not making this a 38-6 to game. Mason, big face Mace, does pull off a nice little professional job there in like the second and third quarter a bit and keeps them around enough for Steelers fans to get their money's worth out of it probably. And... Uh, yeah, they didn't really run the ball necessarily well. A bunch of Najee shit talkers. I don't, I don't get it. Najee's been rolling lately. You know how I feel about Najee, my boy. Uh, big ne- face Mace tucks the ball a couple times. Pickens makes a couple plays there. Pat Fryermuth makes a couple plays. But, uh, man, Josh Allen, good luck, Kansas City, man. I mean, in that house, rolling. Dude, you, you like to use the word Adonis and Greek God and, and make those references. That is a superhuman when he gets fucking rolling like that. He it looks was, like uh, Kratos from the God of War games. He, he gets that rage mode going, and you, you can't do anything to stop him. And, I mean, a little bit of a fake slide there. I know some people were – there was some belly aching about that, but it's like you got to play through the whistle with this guy, and he's going to be physical right back with you, and he will bitch and cry for some calls, certainly. 
Uh, we saw that happen in this game, but like, man, like you, you just, you have to play through the whistle with him. Otherwise he is going to burn you. And uh, sometimes even when you do, he will just overpower you physically. He is uh, the most, the, probably the craziest specimen we've seen at this position since Cam Newton. He is very similar to Cam Newton in many ways. And to peel back the group text, the E52 group text, I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm sick of Josh Allen crying. And it would be one thing if it's like, if Jordan Love was a crier or if Brock Purdy was a crier or, I don't know, Joe Burrow even, sure. Josh Allen, you're the biggest motherfucker on the field. Stop crying. For, you, for him to cry about protection and then run dudes over is just, it just, just be a man. I said in the group text, I feel this way. It's like if Shaq were to cry for fouls all the time. Right. That's it's a like, good brother. You're playing the most physical style of football that like him, Cam Newton, Dante Culpepper, and like, I, I don't know who else freaking David Garrard. I, I don't know. Like, Stop crying. Mahomes cries, and honestly, that rubs me the wrong way. Sure, he cries in like a Brady way. Mahomes is a little bit of an athlete himself. We talk about it, he's a great athlete, but Jesus fuck, man. You're six foot five, six foot six, two hundred and apparently it was not two fifty, he's two thirty eight because he stayed the exact same weight since the combine. Yeah, he wears a flat jacket. He probably gets up to like two forty four. He's he's like six, he looks like a tight end. Yeah. Like Fryermuth is rumbling down the field. What is it? The, what do they have? Different body? They're the same body type. He's built like a giant tight end or outside linebacker. Stop crying. Steve McNair. The flopping I think is funny, but it's like the crying and the flopping and the physicality. Just be a badass, please. Just be a badass. Yeah, like Steve McNair. Like he, like that guy would put his body on the line every single week. And like he wouldn't, you wouldn't hear a peep from him in the media about this kind of stuff. He wouldn't do it on the field. He was just kind of like a Barry Sanders stoic out there. And he would just like dive for touchdowns and do all this kind of crazy shit. And in a time in the league where that was really not nearly as common as it is now, it's only a few guys right now, but Allen's certainly at the forefront of it. And yeah, like, it, like I could certainly do without it. And I was, I was saying in that group chat, it reminded me of the end of that game in 2022 when the bills came to M and and it was a close game and just kind of a crappy gray kind of day. And you know, the Ravens, it certainly looked like they were going to be able to pull that one out. And then you get a third and 15 or whatever it is, you know, whatever busted broken play that didn't work out late hit, whatever. I don't think it was that late. And he, because he cried for it and the refs had waited a couple seconds, he stands up and starts screaming at them. And then they throw the flag that just left a bad taste in my mouth about Josh Allen as a player. He's a good dude. Obviously he's fun to listen to on podcasts and stuff and seems to have a good kind of radiant personality, but that is just one thing to your point really turns me off. Just cry harder, Josh. Like you're six, six, two fifty running guys over crying about getting hit. It's just insane. Literally insane. And that's like, to to his credit, I guess, you know, Brady did it. He gets the calls and Lamar net like Lamar very rarely gets that pissed off about that. He when he does, he turns it into like, I'm going to run faster, throw a touchdown. Like if he just doesn't cry about it and maybe he should, maybe he should cry about it. Honestly. I mean, yeah, if it gets you the calls like that, you know, it's like in soccer, like th those guys do it he to get the calls. He like soccer. He's a soccer playing six foot six defensive end that runs you over as well. What he plays like a Josh Allen runs like a rugby player. Like he might as well have the ball in both hands and just be like running downfield, ready to run you over. Like, I don't know. He hit almost 20 miles an hour on that run. Just, I mean, he's a fucking specimen crying. I can do that. Khalil Shakur's touchdown was sick. I think too. Uh, hits that little, little turntable with his hand there kind of stutters out of contact. 
accelerates. I think he's a really nice player that uh, Gabe Davis has been out. Shakira had a hundred yard game, I think against the dolphins and has, has done a really nice job. I know a lot of people in the draft draft film community loved him on Twitter, I guess last year. And he's been really nice this year. Yeah. Good one, two punch there at tight end with Knox and Kincaid as well. Uh, both of them had touchdowns. So yeah, just overall a nice day. We don't have to spend too much time on this game. Mike Tomlin uh, asked about his contract status as his last question of the press conference and just kind of walks out, doesn't acknowledge it. I think it was leaked through Jordan Schultz today that he does intend to return uh, to coaching and um, doesn't seem like the Steelers are going to fire him. So sorry, Steelers fans that want to get rid of uh, probably your best coach in franchise history. You're going to have to hang on to him for another year. Chuck Knoll fans are going to come for you for that one. Yeah, well, they can come for me all they want. He, Chuck Knoll is playing against plumbers and firemen. Steelers were plumbers and firemen back in those days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike Tomlin, whatever. Deontay Johnson, you know, whatever. A couple. It was, it was, it was fine. It was 430 on a Monday. Like, all right. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, enjoyed, it, I enjoyed watching it because of that time. I was like, oh, football at 430. That's going to be the new model, I think, because it's two games each day. You kind of take them into the late afternoon and, you know, kind of doubleheader there on the Monday night. I think they like that model and they'll probably stick with it. If it's on Martin Luther King Day, they could get away with it, I feel like. But doing that at 4.30 on a Monday on the East Coast, not on a holiday. And it's not going to be. It's it's not going to be on a Monday next year. I think that's what really enabled them to get away with it. Yeah, could be. And, you know, obviously Tony Romo had you know, amazing kind of heartfelt words for that, too, and everything. So they were very well prepared and everything. And, uh, yeah, just what, what a spectacle there in Orchard Park. Amazing to watch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What a what a bad game for Romo, by the way. Oh, Jim, I think it was intercepted. It's like, what do you know, dude? Like, like you got to wait for that to play out before you can throw your analysis in there. That he's just like, God, he's just really, really falling off a cliff here. Like, I, you know, it's tough. I like it. I do too. Like in ways, I do. But it's like CBS can't be happy. Like, I feel like I'm, especially for the contract or whatever he has. But I, I do. And what, Greg Olson has been so good. Um, so I feel like I'm with him talking to him. Like if I, I watched that game sitting in my living room quietly, didn't have a bunch of friends with me or anything. And uh, I feel like I felt like I was in there with him. That's what I like about it. If you, if you are just watching quietly, you're like, I'm, I feel like I'm talking to Tony a little bit. I yeah. Like that aspect, but he's not really giving you hard hitting analysis. There. Right. I actually, uh, I liked Paul Lazinger in, in golf a little bit. Cause he was just kind of like this old, like uncle. He had this, you know, Kentucky draw to him. And he was kind of like the Gruden of golf a little bit. Uh, not in every single way, thankfully. Uh, and he has since left now, and I kind of bemoan that a little bit. So it is kind of maybe a similar thing with Romo, where it's like you just feel like you're watching it with a friend, and that is fun. But uh, you know, there there are elements of it. I was a little annoyed with the oh Jim, I think it was intercepted because I was like, oh did did they intercept it? Did they? And then you know, obviously it turns out no, it wasn't even close. Um, and yeah, like I said, CBS they are paying him astronomical sums of money to not prepare for these games, <laughs> maybe not even be fully checked into them when he is. Uh, it's tough. It's tough, but whatever. We don't have to belabor that point. We'll, we'll get Taylor's thoughts on that. Uh, I'm sure later in the week, um, last game of the week, Buccaneers, Eagles, Baker Mayfield, Jalen hurts. Our biggest fear is not that we are inadequate. It's that we are powerful beyond measure. What a, uh, I mean, it can't be overstated what a collapse this was for the Philadelphia Eagles. Just this whole second half of the season. It was. It felt like the only guys that showed up were kind of some of the the Eagles front and Devontae Smith in this one. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts hand banged up, ten and one. Nick Sirianni screaming in the in the tunnel at Arrowhead after beating the Chiefs. Who everyone was saying what the what the, just happened to the Eagles? Everyone was saying that's what the Chiefs would be. 
And uh, boy, was that wrong. And again, football gods, Nick Sirianni, don't go screaming like that in the tunnel as a head football coach. Chiefs fans, shut up or whatever the hell he was screaming. Some ridiculous like TikTok type shit. And this guy's just, I mean, acted like a douche, had to replace two coordinators. Just mighty tough to be that cocky while replacing two coordinators. And, you know, how exhausted do those guys have to be after that Super Bowl loss? having to deal with that spiritually and emotionally, having to replace both coordinators. They've got guys like Jason Kelsey that are like coming back for one more season. A.J. Brown that plays the most physical brand of football isn't able to go in this one. Like Jalen Hurts takes a lot of big hits, you know, the tush push, all that mileage. They play very physically on both sides of the ball. It just feels like the mileage accumulated and they've just played that gauntlet, uh, that like six-game stretch that was like Cowboys, Cowboys, Niners, uh, Seahawks, whoever else. And – I mean, ran their mouths, and, and Philly was endearing for a moment in time, and then it became obnoxious. And I think Nick Sirianni was the head of that, and I think a lot of the nation was kind of like, all right, shut the hell up now and go to bed, and uh, we can see you off. You're, you're done in the wild card round. You want a guy as a head coach who is good on camera and can carry a room and has a presence, but you don't want a guy who wants the camera. And Sirianni with the antics and the bob in the head at the, the camera and always kind of like having a, a sense of awareness of where it is and screaming at the Chiefs fans as he's walking off the field. And I think a lot of Philly fans have been making this point uh, the last couple of days that, yeah, like that, you know, we were into it. We admitted it was corny when he was winning, but he was winning. So it's whatever. That shit has got to fucking wear on you as a player and as a fan when things are not going well. And it's just very combustible. And I would not be surprised if he's out of a job by the time this is out. Especially because I, I don't know about that. I don't know. I, uh, I'm not expecting it, but it, it wouldn't totally surprise me. It wouldn't shock you. It wouldn't shock you. Right. Um, and that's what's so silly about it because fans are supposed to act that way. But then when their coach starts acting that way, they're like, you're not supposed to be one of us, buddy. You're supposed to be the adult in the room. And uh, as much as people hated that Harbaugh end of the bar comment, like you'd rather have it that way where your football coach would rather go down, you know, with some decorum and, uh, you know, insinuating that he's not just, he's not the heart of the city, the heartbeat of the city of Philadelphia. Like he thinks he's fucking Rocky Balboa almost in his head. Like he probably has shadow boxes in his own mirror. Um, the hat, I mean, like, yeah, you know, the Italian flag, like, you the know, scowl, he wears the jerseys to the games. Like he's a player. Yeah. I mean, what does he think? He's Vince Papali. Like, Jeez, man, it, it, no one could have more egg on their face than that. And they had a tall task. I mean, played a winner's schedule, played a long, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why I keep saying this, but it feels like the Eagles and the Chiefs played like the longest season in the world last year. Well, it's just because it they, like, they added the week and everything with all oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah true, they, they've added the week. It makes it feel like it's running into mid February at this point. Like, that's crazy. And like, these guys are just, they're more they're op- playing almost to the end of winter. Yeah. And you start gearing up for this shit in the middle of July, really. And like, you, you've got to be, have camp, your body. Yeah, camp, camp is mid July. Yeah. You've got to have your body geared up and ready to go. So you're pretty much, you know, you get a little bit of a summer break, but that's kind of it man you're you're pretty much doing this shit for eight months and pads go live in august and it's just such a grind now like i said mid-february it's so so long and yeah i mean that is just i mean uh, that is a lot of football to be played and they've got to feel like they haven't gotten much out of it i know you make it to a super bowl but it almost makes it worse it makes it like more of a hangover the closer you get you know they got to feel like they were a holding call away uh, a bad one at that uh, away from maybe potentially winning one and to just get that close and not have it happen it's tough 
And obviously Jason Kelsey is just, he's hanging him up, man. He's done with it. He's going to go do the podcast now, I guess. And uh, I, I don't blame him one bit because that is a, that is a gauntlet to have run. And thankfully he got himself a ring uh, because that would have been, that would have been really, really tough to have gone through this stretch without one. It would have. And when you go look at what Dave Canales has done on the other side of the ball here, uh, what he's done. And I mean, go look, go look at the years that Russell Wilson, Geno Smith and Russell Wilson, uh, look at what Baker has done now. Guys are putting up 30 touchdowns, 4,500 passing yards. Like Russ had a 40 touchdown season with Canales a couple years ago here. He has been awesome. And I think the coolest part of this Bucks win, aside from kind of the Baker stuff and, and maybe kind of Bucks being able to get to the divisional round the year after losing Brady, which if there's a city where you can quietly just kind of sneak under the radar and then do this kind of thing, Tampa Bay is the perfect place. Uh, a little bit more vibey in, in ways than Jacksonville that's got their who day kind of stuff. The Bucks fan base is not known. Yeah, you're kind of, you know, you're just kind of hidden there behind the Everglades over on the Gulf coast there. And you know, you got Orlando close by, you know, it's just, that's a really nice spot to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to settle my roots down here and like, just try to carve out a career. And, and Mayfield getting to do it after Brady did. He's like, oh, I get why you came down here, Tommy boy. And the good thing about that is he wasn't the guy like right after Brady, was he? Or was he? He was. He, okay, was so yeah, 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 I guess. Well, yeah, so he wasn't. The, so he was the guy after Brady had a shitty season. If he had gone after Brady after he had won the Super Bowl or even the year after the Super Bowl where he's still good, like. Yeah, Bucks got destroyed by the Cowboys last year in the wild card. Yeah, right. And then they they had lost to the Rams the previous year. Brady had had a good year that year. If he'd come in like after that and the expectations were still really. No, they, they won the Super Bowl the year before. Well, I'm saying in 2021 when they lost to the Rams, you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. And then and then they had the bad year. If he had come in off that Super Bowl year, that would have been tough. But like they had had the down year, then Brady retires, and it's like, all right, like all this is kind of, kind of over, whatever. Let's you know, kind of. Brady wait. also did the whole come like the comeback took as much media like uh, right. HP energy hit points as it could have in that area. Yeah, exactly. So Baker to come after everyone's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. It was just kind of an afterthought. Like the, this team was and him, him being the starter was, we were like, yeah, you know, whatever, have a good season. Maybe not. They'll, they'll probably be looking for a quarterback either way, but who knows? I mean, they're going to be picking in the twenties now, so we'll see. Definitely. I, I think Baker stays, but what I thought was really cool was that uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, I think through three quarters, maybe had like 40 total yards and, the Bucks weren't really running the ball particularly well. I think Canales just toasted the Eagles. And the Eagles secondary, I, I think, you know, as much uh qualm as we have with Sirianni, they just didn't have guys on that back end. Kevin Byer gets traded for. He, I guess, you know, not quite the uh the rangy middle center fielder there that he used to be. Darius Slay misses time. James Bradbury has declined rapidly. They do lose Denard Wilson, who's with the Ravens now, on top of losing Gannon. So Wilson comes over here, and that secondary is just a fuck. Was just a joke. I mean, it was a joke. David Moore on that long touchdown, guys just slip sliding around. All the big plays, uh, the the Tompkins, the receiver there, all these different receivers just going absolutely ape shit in that game. Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, like you, you, it just felt like they, those guys did not want to be out there, and it just seemed reflective of this whole organization. I mean. Those shots into Jeffrey Lurie's box, like they they made the shots into Jerry or uh, Jerry Jones's suite look like you know <laughs> a party was going on. That guy did not look like he wanted to be there at all. Just a, a wash of a season for Philly, and uh, it's a big story and everything. But you know, maybe maybe they'll just kind of bring everyone back and try to retool. Maybe get some more coaching talent in the ranks, and I'm sure they'll be competitive again next season. They still got a lot of talent. Your guy Howie 
he can uh, he can flip a roster around on a dime, and uh, we'll see what he's able to do. But uh, yeah, overall, uh, just a, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't think this totally lived up to what I was talking about with having multiple competitive games. But I would say the shock factor of the Packers and the Cowboys kind of redeemed that one a little bit. And then uh, we did have two pretty good games overall. So you know, three out of what what do we have? You know, five games, whatever it was. Uh, overall, pretty. I mean, I thought that, I thought the Texans Browns game was very entertaining. I yeah, another that. another shock factor thing there too, especially with the way Stroud played. So, but it was close, and things were you know in the first half. The the Browns did score a little bit and make some plays. Joku has a big play in the early in that game, stuff like that. Um, that Lions Rams game was badass, and the Steelers made it fun. I mean, I don't know. Everybody complains about the playoffs, but the 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 intensity of every play is just. 15 out of 15 and then the, the worst part and the best part i think is that the fallout from the losers especially in the wild card round i feel like where you got zero playoff success so to speak i mean the fallout after is like a bloodbath mccarthy and dak sirianni and hurts in what other in what other market mike tomlin's fucking walking out of a media availability like <laughs> in what other market does the owner like he holds a press conference, but he doesn't go up onto the dais. He is just mobbed by reporters. Jerry Jones, 87 or 88 year old Jerry Jones, just in it, just mobbed by reporters, just like talking in this low voice about how he's floored. And they've just got cameras in his face, like just people just, you know, backed up to the wall, like just <laughs> one of the crazier scenes that you'll ever see. It'd be like, like as if Bill Clinton was flooded with cameras right now. Right, exactly. It felt like a, an assassination had just taken place and they're just like talking to like the, the, the president in, a, in waiting or whatever, like. Oh my God. That's what, that's what I was talking about with Dallas, man. Like you just, there is just a chaos factor with them. You just never know what's going to happen with those guys. And that's why are they, they are the best show, uh, in, in the NFL. We've always loved watching it from afar. This is a, uh, this is a Dallas appreciation podcast for the spectacle that they put on. Yeah. It's, it's Shakespearean in nature and I have an appreciation for the high arts and, uh, this is among the highest art uh, (laughs) you're going to get as an NFL fan. And it was on full display this past Sunday. Jerry Jones in front of a mob at his beautiful freaking mall of America stadium that he's built. Indeed. Just a a monument to capitalism out there in the uh, wild west. But uh, okay, running uh, running pretty long here. You got any uh, other thoughts before we uh, close her out? Bills, Chiefs, Ravens, Texans. We got the Lions and the Bucks in the redemption. I guess that's the redemption bowl. Jared Goff came back from just getting poo pooed on with his riches, and Baker Mayfield comes back from having to deal with the mockery of a franchise that is the Browns that Kevin Stefanski has somehow managed to kind of prop up, and then. 49ers and Packers, man. Um, The NFC quarterbacks, I know people are going crazy about that one. We got Brock Purdy, Jordan Love, Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield. Nobody had that written out. That's why, I mean, one of those guys is going to be in the Super Bowl, huh? I guess it wouldn't have been crazy with Purdy, but if one of those other three slips through, that would be quite a story. I did put a, a pretty big bet on Niners minus 180 to win the conference there. It's going to have to go through San Fran. They got embarrassed on Christmas, and they should be able to get it done. I mean, Brock Purdy's played as well as any of those guys have uh, for the most part, and they've got by far the most talent. They scheme it up like those guys. And then, man, we get Bill's Chiefs, hopefully. I mean, 
the Ravens are able to get business done. We're not doing predictions on this or anything. We're going to break it down a lot more. We've got content. YouTube videos will be hitting you guys. Make sure to like and subscribe. We'd love to have you on YouTube, all that good stuff. But please, Ravens, win this game so that we can enjoy the Bills Chiefs and see who comes to Baltimore, hopefully. Not gonna not saying we're not saying we're taking this one lightly. CJ Stroud's been a magic man, and Nico Collins has been El Diablo. And uh, they've got some young defenders playing pretty good football. But boy, would that be fun to wait on the Bills Chiefs and watch that game. Just kick your feet up. Kick your feet up, get a cigar lit up, and just, you know, take that in. Get a fire going. Nice and cold out right now. God, I couldn't imagine. Could you the ecstasy of that? We haven't felt that in 10 years. It, uh, you know, we talk about ourselves like, oh, we deserve this. The Lions haven't hosted a playoff game in 30 fucking years, but. No, it, it would just be great. You know, no one deserves anything. No, I'm just saying, I'm like, in, in my head, I'm like, you know, oh, t- a couple tough playoff losses the last couple years. Bills oh, yeah. Sucked. <laughs> yeah. Titans game sucked. Lions fans are like, oh, my God, we made it out of the wild card round. Oh, my God. There, it, there were grown men just in tears, just, you know. As they should be. Yeah. As they should be. Good for them. Shout out to uh, Mr. Caps with the uh, just a tremendous head of hair on that guy, the 89-year-old Lions fan that I think was there for their last playoff win. Uh, that was sweet. Great stuff. That was sweet. So we'll we'll cover cover it all, break it down. Going to get fired up here for the Texans. The Ravens, like I said, host their third playoff game in the last decade, which feels crazy to say with how successful this franchise has been in ways and at times. And, uh, you know, they win a lot of football games, but don't host a lot of playoff games here. So relish in it. Watch every video of anybody who you like that makes content. Turn on the sports shows. Lock in. Have fun. Let's make this a party. Party all week. Hopefully we're partying next week. We'll be partying all week. Jimmy Seafood tomorrow. Preview will come out Thursday. We've got a couple other YouTube videos that'll be popping up. A Lamar Jackson MVP video I've been talking about for a bit. I actually have that ready to go now. And uh, that'll be coming up this week too. So tons of content. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. We're excited. Super fired up for this one. And man, don't take this for granted. You don't get a lot of them. Absolutely. That's very well said. And uh, we'll, we'll have plenty more to say on that throughout the week. Thank you guys for listening to us. In the meantime, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you're not already on YouTube, like the video, comment, get that algorithm pump, and get us to 2K subscribers. Let's do that uh, as our next goal here. We're getting relatively close, I think. I uh, need a couple hundred more. Uh, so get that rolling for us. Follow us on social media at Exit52Podcast across Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I am at Jake Luke. That's spelled L-O-U-Q-U-E. Spencer is at Ravens for dummies That is the number four in the middle. Brian is at Barstool Banks. Eric is at E-D-I-T-T-I-22. And Mr. Taylor is at Taylor Smythe 10. Shout out to our sponsors, Jimmy Seafood. See you there tomorrow, hopefully. Black Eyed Susan Spices, Fed Thrill, things of that nature. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you guys very soon. See ya. Arudachi. execute the system and that's what it's all about yes there sir trust He's pretty, big, big trust, trust. Big big trust, trust baby. hey yes sir <laughs> right on cue hey right on cue hey I, let me